0: This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Let's pray. Gracious Lord Jesus, we pray that as we are together in your word, you would meet us there by the power of your Spirit. And so, speak to us, Um, we're listening. Remove any barriers in the speaker or in our hearts that um, may be there um, that would keep us from hearing from you. In Jesus' name, amen. It's called the imposter syndrome And while the name might not be familiar to you, the concept behind it is sure to be. The imposter syndrome is this haunting feeling that you can't really do or be what everyone expects you to be able to do or be, or what you suspect they expect of you. It assumes any success you've experienced is just a fluke, and it won't repeat itself that you're actually a fraud, and at any moment now, everyone is going to realize it. It's common to experience this perhaps in our work or in school situations, but there's a similar feeling that easily creeps into our Christian lives as well. We walk into church on Sunday and look around, and everyone else looks as though they belong here. They seem to have the Christian life figured out, or so we think. But Christianity doesn't feel quite so natural to us. We may feel like we're the only ones who feel stuck or don't know our Bibles or pray much, that we're the only ones who are spiritually dry or spiritually bored or skeptical or doubtful or or morally compromised. And we may be thinking, well, if anyone knew the truth about me, And then we hear these words, I know my sheep. Someone is claiming to know the truth about me, and therein lies both fear and hope. Fear because being known is a vulnerable thing, and hope also because it's a freeing thing if the one who knows me is one who comes to the relationship with honesty and with love honesty that speaks truth into my fear that I'm actually a poser or an imposter, and hope that my identity and purpose can be one not of striving or measuring endlessly against my own or another standards, but actually a place of rest. And so in John 10, we're introduced to the one who's making this claim, I know my sheep. So who is it? Well, Jesus says, it's me. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep. So this morning we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at who this good shepherd is and what he does. We're going to look at the false shepherds, the real imposters, the wolves of John's story, the hired hands, as you would. And then we're going to look at these words of Jesus, I know my sheep. First, before we get started on those things, a word about shepherds in Jesus' day. Palestinian shepherds lead sheep. They do not herd them. And these sheep were typically owned by local villagers, maybe a few sheep per family along with a few other animals for food and clothing. And they were kept in a special area behind a home or often in a communal pen with the sheep of other families. Then, each morning, the shepherd would go out to the pen, call out, and the sheep would hear the familiar voice of their owner and follow the shepherd to the pasture for the day. The shepherd knows his sheep. The sheep know their shepherd. Then, as the pastures near the village become overgrazed or the dry climate made grass more difficult to find, sometimes a shepherd would have to take his sheep further afield to make sure they were fed sometimes being gone for days while the danger in the villages was were thieves the dangers were thieves and robbers who would come in at night to steal the main danger out away from the village were predators lions bears and especially wolves for the Shepherd protecting his precious flock this man putting his life in danger to fight off such predators Clearly, if you don't care about the sheep, you're a hired hand. It's a lot easier to abandon the sheep to save your own skin. So that's the background. Now back to our shepherd. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The term good is used clearly to point to something morally good, but it's also more. In the Gospel of John, it can also mean beautiful or noble. It has connotations of being genuine, a good fit. John says also, I am the Good Shepherd, not a Good Shepherd, the Good Shepherd. And in doing so, he's equating himself with his Heavenly Father, who is the Good Shepherd of the Scriptures of the Old Testament. The good shepherd that's talked about in Psalm 23 and in other passages like like the one from Ezekiel which we heard this morning, passages from Jeremiah and from Zechariah. So when Jesus uses this language, he's saying he is like his heavenly father. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd we read about in Ezekiel 34 who initiates to give to his sheep the rescue they need. And then later in that same chapter, who seeks them out, who gives them food they desperately hunger for, the tender care that heals, protects, strengthens, and brings home, lovingly bringing them into places of flourishing, green pastures. Then back in John 10, we have what this good shepherd's love looks like when it's given to its end. The good shepherd, in his rescue of his sheep, lays down his life because that's the rescue that is needed. The Christian version of impostor's syndrome is based in a falsehood, and that falsehood is that you actually can measure up, that you can have enough faith, that your life in the Lord is an up and to the right in, a, in increasing holiness. The truth is. Is more freeing you can't you were dead in your trespasses and sin but the Lord Shepherd the Good Shepherd has made a way he laid down his life unlike the hireling who cares nothing for the sheep or the dangerous predatory wolves Jesus is referring there to the religious leaders of his day, whose representation of life in God led not to life, not to pastures of flourishing, but to a soul-crushing existence. And so before we talk more about the laying down of life that our Good Shepherd does, let's look at these false shepherds for a moment. They're supposed to care for God's people, to care for their souls, to welcome the weak, to bind up the brokenhearted, to seek the lost. Remember shepherds, these, rather these shepherds care only for outward religious and moral conformity. They ostracize the morally compromised. They were seeking to lead God's people into a faith of performance using tools like shame and guilt, like increased standards, goals and measures and challenges to just try harder. In this sense, they're more like predators than shepherds and they ignore the weak and brokenhearted leaving them lost to fend for the leaving the lost to fend for themselves and in this they're like the hireling who cares nothing for his sheep ah but jesus is different while the lord is gracious to give us clear covenantal faithful covenant faithful guidelines for living he never assumes we will fully attain them He calls us to live related to them with the cross ever before us. We are called to holiness, but because of the cross and resurrection, if I am in Christ, his righteousness becomes mine. While I still struggle with sin, it does not define me. It has no ultimate authority. And the new life I live in Christ is the deepest core truth of my life. Saint Paul writes, It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved himself and gave himself for me. Laid down his life for me. Therefore, pursuing Christ is the most true to self I can be. The good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep So much rich grace and mercy is entailed in that profound truth. So we've met this good shepherd. Now listen to these words, I know my sheep. We hear those and perhaps we hear this as an intellectual or theological statement that has little traction in our lives. Perhaps we think of his knowledge of us like the knowledge our friends and family have of us, what we choose to show them. But Jesus says, no, my knowledge of you is intimate. It's as the Father and I know one another. This is the model for our shared love, says Jesus, but also how I love you. There's something very freeing about that love and yet something that I have found a bit confining because of its intense intimacy. We may want to pull back from that intensity even though it's healing and freeing. But the Lord invites us to a counterintuitive movement in relationship to him, to move toward him, to come to him in our woundedness, to move toward him in our powerlessness. Because unlike the imposters, the predators, the hirelings. He is trustworthy. And we have a profound choice for how close we come to this amazing and gracious gaze, but the invitation is always there to let his love interact with our pain and our shame and our guilt, to let it expose our resentments and our harbored unforgiveness. Jesus says, I know my sheep like the father in the story of the prodigal son who runs out to the son knowing he is shamed and squandered and wasted, greeting him with costly demonstration of unexpected love. So too the good shepherd takes the initiative on behalf of his sheep to search intently, to seek them out, to rescue and to bring them home. I know my sheep. And they get to know him in these gestures of unexpected love. And then as they respond to those gestures and come close, they're drawn into knowing him more. But now again, Jesus distinguishes himself from the religious leaders of the day in that he's concerned about the sheep that aren't there. And here Jesus sounds more like the prophets who get that this Messiah is for the nations, not just for the people of Israel. For a whole host of those who will be gathered at the foot of the cross under the good shepherd, one flock under one shepherd. The original sheep were Israel, and the leaders of the day would love to have kept it that way, but not so Jesus. He is always seeking his sheep, always moving out with that tenderness that loves lost ones, with the honesty that breaks through the pretense that we can actually be the people we think we are, that understands the bankruptcy of empty alternatives, that knows the fearful and lonely place of being lost. We now share that good news with these sheep who do not know yet know his voice. Jesus has sought us, he's found us, he's drawn us into ever overflowing abundance of his shared love with his Father, but he's still seeking. He's seeking our coworkers, he's seeking our neighbors, he's seeking our family members who have yet to hear his voice, yet to come within his loving embrace. Jesus says, I know my sheep, but there are others, I must bring them also. John calls our shepherd, Jesus, good. This is about the sheer attractiveness of who he is and what as a shepherd he has done and is doing. His is a strangely compelling and wonderful love. We who have responded to it, let's rest our lives in that love, but let us also be a part of bringing people, everyone we can, within the sound of his voice, and within the reach of his loving embrace. Amen.